and welcome to episode 76 of the officially unofficial Death Leopard podcast, Death Left Pod. Joining me are Dangerous Kurt Taft and the Invincible Paul Burns, as they are known and feared on the mean streets of their towns. They ripped it up in part one of our review of Death Leopard's 2015 self-titled album two weeks ago. It was a sight to behold. And now back for part two to discuss the remaining six songs that can be found on disc two of the double album, Death Leopard. Kurt, it doesn't feel like yesterday since we last spoke. Welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's good that you are here. And Paul, are you living in La Vida Loca? Si. <laughs> oh, the multilingual Death Leopard continues as it has done for over three years now. Three and a half years even. Right, okay. So, Kurt, I'm going to crack back on talking about the 2015 self-titled album. If you're just coming in now and you haven't listened to us talk about the first part of it and you also want to know the background, then go and listen to episode 75. Go and listen to that, catch up, and then come back here. So, Kurt, when this album was released, there were rumours and comments on its release that Death Leopard could be Death Leopard's last ever album. Now, obviously, we know it wasn't. However... Had it been their final album back in 2015, would it have been a fitting end to their recording career? In a word, yes. I think it touched on their various eras and sounds. It was up to standard production-wise. For the most part, aside from your On Through the Night, High and Dry Furious, I think there was something on here to love for everyone. I personally enjoyed this from the moment they went into the studio in february of 2014 through the date that they released this album treated it as if it was the last one because the years leading up to that were pretty rough and when it actually started to come together i was like who knows if they'll actually do another one so uh, i treated every single part of that entire experience like it was their last album and was very pleased with the results of it and I'm even more pleased that it was not the last album. It did get me thinking, actually. Would it have mattered if it was no good? And does it matter if a band's last album is no good? Because I was thinking in terms of, for example, Led Zeppelin's career hasn't been blighted or fought worse off by the fact that their last album was In Through the Outdoor, which is by far their worst album. Paul, do you think it really matters if a band's last album isn't fantastic? No. I think history would would show that that would show that to be true. But the thing is, I think a lot of those bands would stop being touring bands as well. They would they would no longer be but so like Led Zeppelin, for example, their last album's no good. But you know what? They're not out there performing anymore. I think if you're out there performing and you're doing tour upon tour upon tour and you're releasing albums that aren't very good, think then it becomes a problem. But historically, no, it's not necessarily true that the last album needs to be a rammer at all. Do we know anyone who did finish on a real high? Can anyone think of anyone at the top of their head? I'm not saying they finished with their best album, but did anyone finish at what yeah. you could call close to the top, or at least in a, maybe the top quartile of their quality? The only thing that was just immediately left to my mind is I've got a friend whose favourite album of all time, and he's someone whose opinion I respect, but his favourite album of all time is The Second Coming by The Stone Roses, which is a, just such a ridiculous opinion to hold. But if you're, so if you're Carl, my friend Carl, then yes, Neil, uh, there is one band who did do that. But that, and that's what leapt to mind when you asked that question. Kurt's looking over his shoulder at, I guess, a load of album covers in a frame. Is that what you're looking at? Yeah, I've got a poster here in my office that has my favorite album from every year since I was born. And I'm trying to look at any that may not be active anymore. I mean, ACDC's on there for Power Up. That was my favorite album of 2020. There wasn't much to choose from. Who knows if they'll do another one. But if you're asking me to rank that near the top of their overall you know, discography, not so much. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of know. respectable ones. Like Power Up is would definitely be respectable. I think we could say that Senjutsu would be respectable if, if Maiden went out on that. And funny enough, uh, Metallica would have been best not releasing this most recent <laughs> album, in my opinion, and could have just stuck with 
Hardwired, which was a brilliant record. So, but yeah, there's nothing that massively leaps to mind. What about you, Neil? Not really. If anything comes to mind during episode 76, I'll I'll, I'll be sure to mention it. Your um, example of um, the second coming by the Stone Roses makes me laugh, not least that they had two albums out. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, the second album, um, last album. But Paul, while I've got your attention and I can see you all smiling and looking keen and enthusiastic as you always do, I'm going to read to you like a like a child, okay? So move over. I'm going to read to you now. And this is an exchange between an interviewer and Joe Elliott in the classic rock magazine that came out as part of the fan pack release of the Def Leppard album. So in this, just to let you know that when the interviewer speaks here, he's talking about the song Invincible, which was a song that we discussed on the previous episode. And the interviewer says... And that was the very first song written for the new album. And Joe says, it was the song, just had its own energy. It breathed. We just let it go wherever it wanted to go. And that's how we approached the rest of the record. It was just very organic. The funny thing is, we weren't thinking about making an album. We were thinking of doing an EP, three songs. The interviewer then says, why would you not want to make a full album? And then Joe says, well, you know what everyone has been saying for years? The album is dead. And then the interviewer says, didn't you say that too? And I love this from Joe. I quite possibly did. I say a lot of crap. So, okay, maybe I did say that. But then I changed my mind. We're human beings. We have the right to change our minds. Right. So, rightly or wrongly, around the mid-teens of the 21st century, there was quite a lot of discussion about you know doubts about the validity of the album format i think that has dissipated somewhat with the rejuvenation of like the vinyl markets and even cds and things and so forth but nonetheless it was a debate and to a certain extent it continues to be a question worth asking so as a question i'm going to ask you now paul in 2023 is there validity in the idea of an album anymore and whatever your answer, does this, the Def Leppard album, support your view or not? So from a music business perspective, I think it's pretty well established now that there isn't much validity in the album format because albums promote tours these days. Tours are where the money is made. It's not tours to promote an album as it was back in the days of those huge Pyromania and Hysteria tours. Artistically, I think albums remain incredibly important that that getting together and allowing creativity to flow and evolve and where you're not having to just hone in on just singular ideas just to produce a song, like what we got, for example, with Mirrorball, where we just get three songs out of it instead of sitting down and, al- and, and allowing those ideas to bounce around and percolate and then, and then we get all this new stuff. And from a listener's perspective, there remains an enormous amount of validity in the album format. I could really bore on at length about how much I resent Spotify for uh, and, and it's like for what it's done to the album format because the album format is by far my favourite way to listen to, to music to the point where I actually, Kurt, you mentioned quite often sort of playlists that you make. I'm not a massive playlist person. I listen to albums just front to back, that's what I do. I tee up albums and I just listen to them front to back. I'm not a big playlist person at all. As a listener, what we get from listening to albums is we get album tracks. So I just made a really quick, this is a really short list of just some Def Leppard songs we wouldn't have had if we didn't have albums, in theory. Overture, You Got Me Running, Coming Under Fire, Love and Affection, Gift of Flesh, Guilty, Scar, Bad Actress, just off the top of my head, songs that were and are album tracks. And we mentioned some album tracks in part one of this review as well in relation to this album. So without albums, we don't get album tracks. We mentioned some great album tracks on side one of this record. And therefore, to your question, Neil, does this album support the notion that the album format still has validity? Yes, 100%. It absolutely does. And what about for you, Kurt? Because as Paul's just referenced, what you'll do is you'll take an album and then you'll curate that album yourself. You'll edit that album yourself. And Paul, you hosted an episode 
relatively recently where you know mark who was one of your guests was on as well he talked about his own curated version of x where you know he cut it down to a smaller number of songs he got rid of some stuff that he didn't like and he changed the order as well so he you know he very much interactively created his own x album and i know you do that as well Kurt. i suppose my question is do you find yourself doing that a lot with Def leopard albums no i think it's more of an exception in this case there's three versions either i'll listen to the normal album or if i have less time and i want to skip three songs i consider to be filler then i'll omit those on a playlist and then there's the alternate version where if i'm more in the mood to hear joe sing we belong than everybody then i'll play that one so it's more of an exception and i very much support the album format i think there is some validity to it commercially because i think there's some rap artist or something that they put out an album that had like 130 songs or something obnoxious on it because like every 10 downloads constitutes an album or something stupid. So when you load it up with tracks, it sways the numbers because of how they measure that crap nowadays. <laughs> so I, now obviously that's, you know, an extreme example, but I do think that putting out an album, even if you are using it to promote a tour has more of an impact than just an EP artistically 100% I support the album format versus just EPs. I mean, Paul was a little wrong on Overture because it literally came from an EP, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even as I spoke, I caught myself on that and I should have said so. <laughs> quite right. <laughs> but your, your point, though, was right because when I think back to the three songs from Mirrorball, I love two of them and one of them, for me, was a complete dud. So when you shrink how much material you're getting, you are omitting, you know, a lot of songs that could potentially be great songs. And I think at one point they, there was talk within the band of, well, we, you know, we could do an EP every six months and then collect it onto an album. And of course that went and then a year goes by and there's no new music at all. I'm like, well, you're not even doing that. So there was a lot of frustration within those interviews especially in the very same interview where they're saying the album has no validity. People don't buy them. Our fan base doesn't listen to it, blah, blah, blah. And then two questions later, it's, Hey, my side project has this album coming out. So that drove me insane back in the day. So when this album did finally come out, it validated every frustration and thought that I had about, no, the album is still relevant. Also, I can save you on the Def Leppard EP. It's called The Overture. Well, on, on Food and Ice, it's Overture with no definitive article. So therefore, it is a different song. And um, that's the one that you meant, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, look out for the poll on my Twitter that says, was Paul right or wrong? <laughs> yeah. I'm probably going to find out now that it's on On Food and Night that it's called The Overture. And it's now it's not. I'm sure it's just called Overture on On Food and Night. I'm, I'm going to, yeah, yeah, I'm going to stick to that. But it's definitely, it's definitely slightly different on each one. Right. It's okay. While we're talking about album tracks, let's talk about the remaining six album tracks on this album that make up side two or the second record. If you've got this as a lovely double album, by the way, I've got a lovely yellow version of this and it just looks fantastic and I very much when we sold our old house and had my record player out this was the record I put on top of it because it just looked nice on our black worktop because uh, it was in the kitchen and um, I do believe that I sold a lifestyle and this album helped me to sell my house so I was I mean, you know, well done Death Leopard in 2015 with this album right the first song that we're going to talk about then which is the ninth track on the album is called Battle of My Own This is a Rick Savage and Joe Elliott composition. Okay, so the second record starts off with a Savage and Elliott song, just like the way the first album or the first record did with Let's Go. Joe says, it's Crosby, Stills and Nash meets Zeppelin. 
Sav came in with this idea, played it to us on an acoustic, and straight away we knew that Rick could do the Zeppelin free thing with the tabla. It's not folk, but it's certainly that English acoustic rock, the way the Who used to do it, or Led Zeppelin, or the Kinks. And it's also got that West Coast thing in the bridge. It's very melodic, but it has a great dynamic when the heavy electric section kicks in. Sav called it battle. He had the first four lines of the first verse. I took what he'd done and finished it off. From a lyrical point of view, it's almost vampiric, as in vampires. The stuff about the undead, the dust and the bones. I wanted to have that kind of vibe a little darker than your average rock song. So, Kurt, are you a fan of this song? Yeah, and actually, one of the first things that jumped out at me about this song in 2015 of course, I'm saying this now at nearly, I'm, I'm turning 37 in a few days. I was 29 when this song came out. But that was a period where I had familiarized myself with classic rock royalty, such as Led Zeppelin. And that allowed me to appreciate this song much more than I would have if this had come out in the 90s and I was much younger and didn't know what the hell I was listening to. <laughs> I would not have enjoyed this song whatsoever then. But as an older uh, fan who knew where this was coming from, I think this is a really cool song. I think it would have benefited into actually being turned into like a full-blown epic thing. I think having it be really short kind of misses what they were going for to an extent. But luckily, that's an exception to the rule. Whereas everything on the Sparkle Lounge, I kind of felt like every track could have benefited from being fleshed out. And this is really the first instance where I feel like it's really good as is, but it could have been more. I could go full Tony the Tiger on this one because I think it's great. I absolutely <laughs> love it. I love the Zeppelinness of it. I love the Joe has been gargling glass type of thing he's got going on with his vocal. I can't help but hear it and think about Steve Clark. It's called Battle of My Own, and that's very, very, that's like the type of language that, that gets used when discussing addiction. You know, people are, are engaging in their own in their own battles. It's like a deadly deja vu, and it could be the death of you. I don't know. I can't help but think about Steve uh, when I hear that. This puts the album firmly back on track for me. I absolutely take your point, Kurt, that this could have been expanded into something else. Yet at the same time, I adore this for what it is. So it, you kind of um, you've made me think there uh, in a way that I've never really thought about this song before. I absolutely love it. Let's let's keep it short as as the song is. I really do truly love this. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, it is a bit of a two different minds that I would have on it because the way mm. that the song starts and then it builds and builds and builds and builds and builds, it's perfect. So by elongating it, you could possibly tinker with that and lose the way that it builds so naturally like that. So I don't know. I guess there just needs to be two versions of it. Yeah, honestly, that was what was mind. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, yeah. You've you've really given me pause for thought there. To put it into context, and this is always the weird paradox with this song. I've found. Do you know how long it is? How actually, it's so short. It's untrue. It's I'm guessing two minutes two and, and forty-two seconds long. It's less in three minutes long and to be honest the, the first four songs of the second record all share that trait of all being very very short and we can talk maybe a little bit later on about in terms of does that mean quick throwaway sort of songs or is that simply you know wanting to write a certain type of short efficient song they talk about writing a three minute pop song I don't think any of these are pop songs necessarily but they're all or certainly this one and a couple of others maybe, like perfect little pocket rockets of songs. And this has all of the traits of like an epic from an acoustic start to it being like Led Zeppelin free type acoustic to the way it builds up and then you know, it really blows up and you've got your almost like your cashmere sort of type feel to it where you know, it goes into a different type of Led Zeppelin and it finishes like Joe, another song where he finishes like really, really high like he did on All Time High and how he's going to do on... Um, Blind Faith as we close the song out as well. And it's weird. It sounds like it should be an epic. It's got all of the features of an epic. Yeah, it is so, so short. It's two minutes and 42 seconds long. And 
I agree with both of you. I, genu- I genuinely do. I think it's perfect as it is. It's a perfect little song, but it's just it's just perfectly packaged. It's like the song version of like a haiku poem or whatever. You know, there's like no fat on it at all. It's just this like perfect thing. But at the same time, yeah, you know what I mean? Whack another three minutes on it. Loads of Vivian, <laughs> Vivian um, Phil dueling guitars. I could be well up for that as well. You know, bringing it back down again. All sorts of stuff. Great, great song. Right, we'll move on to the next song then, which is Broke and Broken Hearted. And Joe says of this song, which is written by himself and Phil Collin, I wrote this with Phil on a Friday night when no one else was around. It was 9.30 and we'd finished for the night. Viv wasn't there. Sab had taken the last ferry back to England and Rick was asleep on the couch in the back of the studio. Doesn't that paint an actual like, really good picture? It was me and Phil with two guitars. He had the chorus and the title. And I said, I've got this idea that's like 2468 Motorway by the Tom Robinson band. I have no idea what he's going on about there, by the way, but that that, that means nothing to me. We've used those same simplistic chords and threw Phil's chorus on the end of it. I added this middle section that sounded like Guns N' Roses, a bit slash. Phil came up with a solo that was basically an extension of what Mick Ronson did on Bowie's Moonage Daydream. And boom, it sounded like the faces. Oh my, I mean, even for Joe, that is a lot of references to other bands. <laughs> God knows how many bands he just mentioned there. It doesn't really sound like them, but it has that swagger they had. And that was exactly what we were trying to get. We wanted it to be a guitar orientated pop rocker with all the ingredients of those faces songs we loved, like Pool Hall Richard and Stay With Me. Also, this is, and Joe says, you know, it's like it's fairly straightforward stuff. Would you say that's a quality of this song, or would you use that as a criticism? No, I would use it as a criticism. I'm afraid this one does fall under filler for me. There's some, there's some absolute points of order to be made on this. First of all, Neil Two Four Six Eight Motorway is an absolute certified grade A banger, and I think you definitely will know it. It's one of those songs that if, if I reckon somewhere deep in your memory bank, if I played that to you, you'd pick up on it straight away. I'm guessing it's probably a better known song, song in England. I don't know why I'm talking about 2468 Motorway so much, but trust me, it's brilliant. Kurt, sing you know it, it, Paul. Paul, can you sing it to me? Come on, sing it to me. Four, six, eight, little too late. Me and my radio trucking on through the night. Three, five, seven, nine, little white line. Oh, yeah, I do know that. There we go, yeah. Uh, Kurt? That was lovely. I'm drawing a blank on it. <laughs> I'll have to look it up. Uh, this song sounds nothing like that, so I don't know what Joe's going on about. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, they, we, I talked in episode, what the first episode of this review, about how they do at times on this album, they, they either self-reference or they steal directly from themselves. They steal directly from themselves in this song. The riff is very similar to the riff they have used already in Dangerous. Have a listen to it. I'm sure I'm not imagining that. Go back and have a listen. The riff is very similar to the riff they've used in Dangerous. And if you listen, this is on the on the Spotify tracking. If you listen from one minute on this track, just to five seconds later, from one minute to one minute and five seconds, they lift directly from Don't Shoot Shotgun for that section. I'm absolutely convinced. So please do have a listen and feel free to tell me whether I'm talking absolute broken biscuits in regards to that. Yes, you did. We talked we talked a bit about lyrics across this album. Neil, you earlier said that this is one of those albums where actually there's not much cringe at all, and quite often Death Clopper can bring the cringe. They definitely bring the cringe on this song. It's the lyric where Joe sings, get over here, I'll kick your ass. It's real macho property kind of behavior 
uh, and just helps to cement the fact that this is for me a piece of filler. I'll take the 180 approach again. <laughs> so <laughs> leading up to the album with them, uh, well, first of all, anytime there's an Elliot Collin composition that's going to catch my attention, I always think that they turn out, you know, just some classic material for Lep. Um, and then just hearing that they hammered out this thing that sort of had a bit of a punk. I think they also referenced New York Dolls at some point um, talking about this song, um, you know, that they hammered out this quick little rocker in 10 minutes. I was just really curious about it and excited to hear it. So for me, it probably sits somewhere in the middle if I were to rank this album top to bottom. But just the fact that it is this energetic guitar heavy, I think it might have, you know, more dual soloing all over it no i don't think it's necessarily one of the greatest songs but i absolutely love this song in a way that's similar to all time high and i'll have to go back and listen to it more specifically to try to pick up on the cues that may have been borrowed from dangerous and i think with lep if they do something like that a it's less noticeable and b they were at least smart enough to spread out the tracks because to reference aerosmith again on their last album in 2012, Music from Another Dimension, if you listen to Legendary Child and then the very next song, Out Go the Lights, they literally took the melody of the chorus, or no, the melody of the riff from Legendary Child and used that for the chorus on Out Go the Lights. And then they put the songs back to back. I'm like, what were they thinking? Reusing something like that and then putting the songs back to back so you can't even get away with it. So at least if they did something like that on this, they spread the songs out. But, I mean, it's just, you know, it's a guitar-driven rocker, so I enjoy the hell out of this song. While we're referencing this song in relation to 479 other bands, plus Death Left, left <laughs> Themselves, the one that really jumps out at me, and it may well be that this band are influenced by all the bands that you two have just said, and Joe says as well, it sounds to me like a Wild Heart song, who are like a British rock band from the 90s, especially the chorus that broken, broken heart. It just sounds exactly like the type of chorus you'd hear in a Wild wild Heart song. It even goes on about caffeine as well, and there's a Wild Heart song called Caffeine Bomb. I don't even lyrically, it just sort of feels a little bit similar. All right then, okay, going on to... The next song, this is another very short one. This is the shortest song on the album. I think this is about 2 minutes 20 seconds, something around that ballpark. It is the song Forever Young by Bill Collin and Joe Elliott. Joe says, the main riff in this song is something I've had on my laptop since we did the session for the songs from the Sparta Lounge. Back then, we never got around to finishing it, but this time I said, we're going to turn that riff into a song because it's just so memorable. The riff is like a cross between Bowie's cracked actor and the Clash's London calling. It's so hooky, we had to use it. So I got together with Phil and said, let's blitz this thing. We played around with it for a couple of days and then knocked it into shape with the whole band. Kind of song it was, I wanted to write a lyric that matched. The title, Forever Young, was something that came to me after seeing all this stuff on TV where there's just too much facelift going on. There's all this anger people have about getting old and becoming irrelevant. I thought Forever Young would be a hard rock Dorian Gray song. I really like this song, and the reason I like this song is for the chorus. Joe's just talked there about the riff being particularly memorable. For you, if it is a song that you like, what's the bit that stands out for you? The guitars are what stand out for me. They're nice and crunchy. Um, they've got sort of that you know, classic lep riff. It reminds me of Hallucinate, which reminds me of Dangerous, which reminds me, you know, it's that thing that just kind of builds back into that ilk. Mm. But I'm also not at all surprised that this is an idea that came out of the Sparkle Lounge era because this, to me, sounds like the most unfinished, unrealized song on the album. And the chorus is part of, like, I have to think back to, like, Mutt Lang producing them in the 80s, and they would come up with something 
that they would think is a chorus and he would say okay we're going to use that for the bridge now come up with something better for the chorus this chorus to me feels like a bridge and then there's no chorus after it and the fact that it's you know two minutes and 20 seconds long i just think there was more potential here than what they did i mean for what it is the performance and the production is all you know on par with everything else on the album i just think that it's fallen short of being a fully realized song and i find myself in total agreement with everything you've said there kurt and yet i do love it uh, uh, there's something about this chorus that i agree now you said it should have been a bridge for something better uh, there is something about it that i do just absolutely love there's something that it, it just works for me this i neil you kind of inferred earlier about does the fact that it's short therefore make it seem a bit throwaway uh, and what have you? The very first time I ever appeared on this podcast, I um, I compared in some sense Def Leppard to uh, Green Day or Green Day as the uh, as I think the correct enunciation would be because Billy Joe and Co they write two minute longs or did in their earlier incarnation sort of doopy era stuff they're, they're writing two minute long uh, pop songs with really heavy guitars behind them which is where i draw a parallel between the two and i wouldn't call anything off the first five green day albums throw away and yet these albums have got 17 tracks on them you know what i mean and they're all two minutes long so i think it's fine to do a two minute long song on an album that's got a load of tracks on it like this one has whilst at the same time Kurt is absolutely right because you of course there's it, it's okay to call back to oh but if only what this would have been back in the day you know there's clearly such a great idea here so a little bit like I was um when we were just discussing uh, battle of my own I find that you've given me two stools that I'm caught between Kurt because on the one hand I think yeah absolutely could have been should have been something different and on the other hand I'm going it's the Green Day thing. I can see where this sits for me. And on this album, I think it's great. And I do really, truly love this song. I think it's telling as well that you've got these three songs and the next song, Last Dance, which are all anything between, say, two minutes and 20 seconds and around three and a half minutes. So this is the first time you get this in the album where you get this group of songs that are all of this length, which says to me that this was possibly less of a, that'll do, we can't be bothered, you know, adding, adding more songs and more of a conscious decision to write some shorter songs. And also the fact that they put them together in terms of, like, this is one side on the second record. We talked about we talked about EPs and things. It's almost like this could be a little EP on itself and will probably be the same length. Four songs, but all quite short to be um, an EP as well. It's at this point as well. I'm going to use my professional judgments and discretion here to now reveal to you something that a lot of people have said to me on um, you know, your social media over the last couple of days. So I, I mentioned that we were recording this, as I tend to do these days, and just said, you know, what are your thoughts on this album? And also, what are your highlights? Highlights. One came up quite a lot that we're yet to come to, or there was another one as well, but a lot of dangerous in there, a lot of let's go, lots of a lot of we belong, that type of thing. But one word that came up time and time again, but it wasn't used to damn this album with faint praise, was the word solid. Loads and loads of people refer to this song as I really like it's really good, it's a really solid album. Feels to me a little bit like this collection of songs, not even, I know you don't like Broken, Broken Hearted, but there's just a sort of level where you talk about your all-time high and your sea of love. These ones that, it feels to me that other than maybe Energize, but I know you like that, Kurt, this album never really bottoms out in a horrendously terrible way, like, you know, on more than one or two occasions and say some of the um, the lesser, like Def Leppard albums. Kurt, do you think that's a good description of this album? solid or do you think that does maybe just damn it with a little bit of faint praise i think it's pretty appropriate i think it's more than solid like i would say songs on the sparkle lounge is solid but this one is more realized so i think solid's a bit of a an understatement for this album honestly 
Yeah, I, I also would suggest the word solid is a bit of an understatement. It's interesting that that's a word that came up because I can understand why it's come up so frequently. Because if I, the album that I can't help but compare this to, I think there's two of them. There's Euphoria, but the Adrenalize is the one that I sort of, something about it in my mind links this album to Adrenalize. And I can see why people could listen to Adrenalize and not describe it as a solid album because it's got too many lowlights. And I think that's the point being made, isn't it? That we've disagreed slightly on sort of where we position uh, Energized in, uh, and Sea of Love, say, but, but across the board, we're pretty much saying that, like you've just said, Neil, it doesn't really bottom out. And that's what people mean, isn't it, when they say it's solid? Uh, I think you've said it yourself. It doesn't bottom out. You can argue that Adrenalize does, for example, bottom out. So... Yeah, that's where I understand where that adjective has come from. I think as well, just to sort of do do justice to anyone who's listening who did, who did write that, when it's written, even though it doesn't have the word really in front of it, they all very much read as, you know, it's like, you know, it's a really solid album, this, as opposed to it's solid. You know, there's a different way of saying solid, isn't it? You can sort of pick up the tone with what other things were saying and you read it in the context but in terms of, yeah, it's like a, you know, it, it does a good job. Right then, moving on to a song that I would argue does far, far more than a good job is Last Dance. Is this chance? Savage. You know, Joe's got quite a lot to say about this, everyone, so I will read it out and uh, try and do Joe justice. This is a very romantic song and nostalgic. It's very different to the songs that come either side of it. A bit of light relief, I suppose. That's the great thing about this record. Everything has its place. Sav wrote Last Dance, and he's always been good at doing this kind of stuff. He's openly a huge Queen fan, and Last Dance has the same kind of feel to some of those old Queen songs, like Love of My Life. It has that kind of simplicity about it. It's mostly just an acoustic guitar and a nice melody. The funny thing is, when Sav first brought the song to us, nobody thought of it as an absolute certainty for the record. It was only when we started working on it together that it grew into something a bit special. In the studio, we played it on acoustics, campfire style, and that's when it all fell into place. We have a bunch of friends that we play stuff to, John Bon Jovi does the same thing. I think he calls it Pizza Club. When our friends heard the rough mixes of Last Dance, they fell in love with the song. That confirmed what we were all secretly thinking. This song just works. It could be a Queen song, or it could almost be a Robert Plant song. It has great melodies. The arrangement is brilliant, and there's a fantastic guitar solo from Vivian. Just beautiful. Paul, we're going to break the fourth wall down of Death Left Pod here. Okay, we're going to be self-referential. And I did a deep dive episode on this song. And it is the least listened to episode of Death Left Pod ever, right? And I could not give a fuck. I will die on the hill that this is a great, great Death Leopard song. I even embarrassed myself like a right twat in front of Rick Sav Savage mentioning this song to him, at which I got a very, very blank look. It's okay, Sav. I don't blame you. So, it's a hill I'm going to die on. Paul, are you going to die on this hill with me, or are you down at the bottom taking aim? I'm kind of going to do neither, because to a large extent on this, I'm actually just going to take the fifth. Because don't have an awful lot to say about it. And it's a song that I know how much you love it. You've made it very, very clear. Evidently, I don't fall into that camp. But I don't feel passionate enough about it either way to want to disengage you from your position. So I'm going to take a step back. If this is our last dance, Neil, 
then I'm going to allow you to lead. And maybe I'll allow Kurt to interject and come over and say, hey, may I take this dance? And I will stand aside and let the more handsome, more virile man step into my place. And that is definitely Cares and not me. So Cares, what do you think? I will join you on that hill deal. This is a beautiful song. I I definitely love it. This is um like when I immediately heard the song, I could picture, you know, Sav singing it. So the fact that we got the demo where he does sing it, I mean, this is a beautifully written song. It's right up his alley. So I, I get that. It's another one of those songs where it kind of starts low key. It builds layer by layer. And this is one of those songs that really highlights the backing of vocals where you can kind of pick out those individual voices. So, you know, that of course is going to lend itself to listening to repeatedly for us, apparently. Um, but it's got that organic sound. Um, this is another one of the songs thinking back to 2015 and the fact that maybe this is Def Lover's last album, this song itself kind of felt like a little bit of a swan song. Like, you know, this is it. <laughs> so it really hit home, especially being in the last, you know, part of the album. Um, and yeah, it's just one that ballads aren't necessarily always my thing. Some of them do grab me more than others. And this one I can say probably grabs me in a similar way as like, where does love go when it dies? It's just the really laid back, really organic, you know, acoustically built thing, but also with a great electric solo by Viv. So I will join you on that hill. I agree inside with what you said in terms of what you picked out about it being laid back, about it being organic, about it having that great Viv solo. In the last episode, we talked about Def Leppard doing from songs from the Sparkle and certainly doing different types of ballads or slower songs or whatever you want to call them. And this is yet another one. I mean, this doesn't sound anything like We Belong, but it's the other ballad, if you want to call it that, on the album. And what I particularly like about this song is it leaves you wanting more but leaves you wanting more in a way that isn't unsatisfying. So we talked about other short songs where maybe it just isn't worked through. With this one, it's like, I love the way that the chorus, I love the chorus so much, but then you don't get any more of it after you sort of get it the, the, the once. You know, you want that guitar solo to last a little bit longer. It just does its job and it leaves and it leaves you wanting more. And then I just put it back on again, but I don't know, I think it's a perfectly packaged song i absolutely love it right we'll move on to something that's a little bit longer a little bit louder a little bit heavier and this is wings of an angel the penultimate song on the Def leopard album and this has writing credits of colin campbell savage and elliot Joe says of Wings of an Angel, We were in Las Vegas doing the Diva Hysteria shows when we got the idea for Wings of an Angel, the riff at the beginning of the song. We were backstage before a show and somebody started playing around with the riff, Sav, Phil or Vivian, I can't remember exactly. And it was about a year later when Sav came up with a verse par for it. From there, he wrote all the melodies and the lyrics and it all came together. It turned into something bigger. The way it starts off with just a guitar and ends up going bonkers with all the big guns coming in. It's like our answer to those about to rock. Right, Kurt, this was, I remember, at the time when Def Leppard first came out as the album. This was the song that many, many people was talking about. It was very popular, wasn't it? Extremely, and rightfully so. This song is just a monster. Like, to me... This song hit home so well because it blends my two favorite Def Leppard albums, Slang, Pyromania, in two things that you almost think wouldn't be able to blend. And yet on here, it's almost like they took something like Bits of Worlds Collide and blended it with stuff like 
Billy's got a gun or Die Hard. I don't know. I'm probably talking out of my ass, but it's, you know, okay. It's, yeah, it, it's just so amazing. And the fact that this, you know, came out of Vegas just means that that first residency was the gift that keeps on giving. And it shows the power of the band sitting down together and hammering out ideas, something that we may have lost to an extent. And that also goes for what we just talked about last dance, where it didn't really come together until they were all there working on it, bringing it to life. At this point, I'll take what we can get in terms of them making new music, however they feel is appropriate. But I mean, it's got melody. It's another one of those songs where I've praised over and over again on this podcast, where it's dark and moody and heavy but it's also catchy. It's got the hook to it. It's got quite possibly my favorite guitar solo that Vivian has done in his entire tenure with the band. I love Phil's stuff, but I am so glad that Viv is the one who got the solo on this song. And after just a couple of listens of this, I knew this one was going straight into my top 10 Def Leppard songs. And as great as Take What You Want is, I still think this is the best song Lep has done for me since probably Paper Sun. Before we move over to Paul, I agree with you. This was a song that always came to mind when Take What You Want came out and all of the um, the high and dry bros and all of those lads, always fellas, you know, were going on about like, oh, finally Def Leppard had done a rock song and everything. That's driven me mad that for years because, you know, if you actually <laughs> bother to listen to any of these albums, there's loads of heavier rock rock sort of stuff on there and phil's actually alluded to that in the in the past i saw him on an interview where he said you know like we've done that and no one cared so as good as take what you want is and as good as like you know the reaction and i love that and everything i think this is miles better song i, I genuinely do i think it's fantastic and i think this is the 21st century big heavier rock Def Leppard song that if anyone wants to hear and know about us and wants, you know, who does want a bit of high and dry or a bit of on food and ice or something, um, then this is definitely the song to listen to. It's absolutely brilliant. Paul, would you concur? Yeah, with so much of what's been said, this is absolutely awesome. It is, in my opinion, the last to date, the last great Def Leppard song. Kurt, you said best since Paper Sawn. I had it down as best since Blood Runs Cold. Uh, if, if I'm looking at album uh, chronology and song chronology on albums, what can I say that hasn't already been said by by you two guys? I mean, take what you want is kind of the obvious parallel because it's the hard rocker. I agree. I think this is a significantly better song than take what you want. This feels, Kurt. You said this this brings together your two favorite Def Leppard albums. This is my Def Leppard on this song this is if someone if i want to distill what i want Def leopard to sound like then this song this is exactly what my favorite Def leopard and what my Def leopard really truly sounds like I, I actually said earlier and i should probably take it back i think it was in episode one i said that they've pretty much abandoned metal by this point well that's not the case here this is really heavy and this absolutely has at the least, it's got a toe in heavy metal, this, if not a foot in heavy metal. It, it is just, it's heavy as fuck. The backing vocals in the chorus, the way they use those backing vocals in the chorus, it, they manage to both be brutal and yet soft, heavy, mysterious. All these slightly sort of contradictory things all happen in the use of those backing vocals in the, as I said, uh, chorus tonight it's in the bridge this song could have been there let's cut loose and not just have two bars worth of a solo the solo's been mentioned but my god what an extra minute on this song could have done and and how they could have gone all sweet child of mine on it and just absolutely just for once done the thing where they just completely cut loose and Fuck off the idea that it's going to be, it's going to fit some form of pop song format and just indulge in some just guitar fireworks. It would have just been absolutely, it would have capped it as, it could have been potentially my favourite Def Leppard song of all time uh, if, they'd, if they'd done that, because it really feels like it was one they could have cut loose on so much uh, at the back end of it. But yeah, this is uh, an absolute triumph. And... 
it's enough of a reason without of all the great songs we've talked about on this album, this song is enough of a reason for this album to exist. It's heavy, it rocks out, yet it still maintains loads of melody. It's almost like that perfect type of heavier Death Leopard song, but still got that distinctive Death Leopard qualities to it that no no one else would do that with this song. It's like that perfect marriage. I would say there is one song off Diamond Star Halos that I think is better than this. But other than that one song, and we'll discuss that on the Diamond Star Halos review, but other than that one song, yeah, I would be with you too in terms of don't know exactly where, but yeah, certainly in terms of like that mid nineties era, it's the best Death Leopard song other than the one I can think of of Diamond Star Halos from like, yeah, the last twenty five years or so. It's absolutely brilliant. We will now move on to the final song on this album. It is called Blind Faith. Another one that is written by Colin Campbell, Savage and Elliot. And Joe says, this is a big song. It's stunning. You can hear the Beatles in there and Led Zeppelin. In fact, when we were putting it all together, we jokingly called it I Am The Rain Song. Obviously taking in Rain Song and I Am The Walrus. As soon as we put the Mellotron on there, we'll talk about the Mellotron. I'm going to ask you one question in a minute. Yay to Mellotrons or nay to Mellotrons? I asked the same question on songs from the Sparkle Lounge for only the good die young so i'm gonna just be asking you that question put it in your mind now about what you think of mellotrons anyway as soon as we put the mellotron on there we knew it had that beatles thing about it rick said it looks like i need to play like ringo and we all went please because how different would that be for us so when the drums came in it almost does sound like i am the walrus the same kind of rhythm i wrote the lyrics when we were on tour with kiss i was in my hotel room and had the track blaring around in my head it sounded really mean and moody, so I wanted a lyric that was dark. I wrote about the futility of organised religion, hence the title Blind Faith. It's a song that really builds and builds. By the time I got to the end, I've jumped three octaves. I really think this is one of the best things we've ever done. That's why we put it at the end of the album. It's a huge statement. In this magazine, there is other interviews with Joe, and he does say that, they very much put this at the end with a case of we talked about this could be the last Death Leopard album ever in 2015. In this magazine that comes with the album, they really are explicitly saying we don't know if we'll ever do an album um, again. And they talk about wanting to go out with a bang and purposely putting this song at the end for that reason in terms of this would be the last Death Leopard bit of recorded music on any album. So, Paul, taking it to another level, just for regular listeners, and you did actually do it in the previous episode as well, is this song about sex? I don't think so. If it is, then the references even passed me by, and I think I'm a fully certified pervert. So so if it is, I've missed it. Funnily enough, I've written down a lyric that I think I could probably just about draw things. It, no, no, it's not. Um, the the Beatles thing, by the way, it's uh, yeah, the strawberry fields thing is really, really obvious here. This it's interesting that this is the last song on the album, given what comes next with regards to Diamond Star Halos, because I think this song is a definite precursor to the level of experimentation we get on Diamond Star Halos. This band, even with an album like Slang, for example, there is no way that Def Leppard prior to this album would ever have put something like this on a record. No way. This, this is it's. A, we talked about Energized being an outlier earlier. This is also a massive outlier for, for me. 
in the uh, in the Def Leppard catalogue, and certainly on this particular album. Um, I love the whole kicking bit, you know, with the uh, it, it doesn't come around here no more bit where Joe gets into his shriek. Yeah. I just feel like that could have come earlier because it doesn't quite hold my attention uh, up to that point, this this song. And it's like just as it gets really interesting, it kind of disappears uh, again. So overall, it's not a song that massively sticks with me, but I admire massively what they were were we're doing here. I, I admire the spreading of the wings and uh, and again, the wearing of the influences on their sleeve for me is absolutely fine, like they did with Man Enough, like they did with uh, with Battle of My Own. I've got no problem with it at all. Eh? So with Queen and Led Zeppelin, you'll find both of those bands in you know my shelf of CDs. Uh, you won't find any Beatles. I respect them and all they've done and their influence and reputation and all that. They're just not my thing, honestly. So if you ask me Beatles or Stones, I'm going to say Stones all the way. <laughs> so when we started getting a lot of comparisons of this song to the Beatles, I was like, meh. <laughs> so thankfully, having heard this song, honestly, Wings of an Angel feels like a, the closer. And this song feels like an epilogue on this album to me. Although, because I just felt that Wings of an Angel was kind of similar to something like Pearl of Euphoria or scar or kiss the day depending on you know where you bought your copy of x but the, interestingly by the time blind faith does get to the very end and it's going full-blown it sounds very much like scar i think the riff on there is very similar the production is similar so i get it um and this is kind of the first possible step they took into that kind of jabbing of you know organized religion that they would later revisit on open your eyes so I can very much connect with that type of lyric. Um, so I, it's not necessarily my favorite. I'm glad this is not the last Death Leopard song we ever got. <laughs> I'm much happier if From Here to Eternity takes that place. But uh, I don't know. It, it's a great epilogue. It kind of sits on the upper half of the lower bottom of the album for me. I just feel like Wings of an Angel would have been a much better way to go out. I'm not a fan of the Mellotron. I don't think it adds anything to it. It's too, it's too on the nose and too clearly it makes it sound Beatlesy. And I'm not a particular fan of the Beatles either. The types of strings that they put in are very Beatlesy. I think if you actually leave that stuff out, it's better. But what I do think is absolutely incredible in this song is the last sort of 60 seconds or so, the bit where, you know, the obvious bit, you know, when it like it goes full pelt and like Joe finishes like on a real high. And I think. Paul, me and you spoke when we were talking about Joe doing that um, who song, that Love Rain Over Me, about how it was like, you know, like a one time only, like re- reaching a ridiculous high. And you only have to get it on that tape because you're never ever going to do it live. Again, like maybe we said a few times on this album, is like, I would have loved him here to stay higher for a little bit longer at the end and for that whole really elevated bit to all last a bit longer because I think that's that bit at the end uh, that whole bit is absolutely stunning and as good as Wings of an Angel but the difference being that it's it's only part of the song rather than full song but it is a song I really really like so I've got a question here for you but having discussed side two of this album now I feel like this very much (laughs) is a very loaded railroading question from me that very much leans into what I think of the second side of this album. So I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna ask you it. However, I don't think it's pretty that relevant uh, a question, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. So arguably, Def Leppard's side ones of their albums are strongest. So I think that is at least a conversation to be had. That on the basis of those last three songs alone, Last Dance, Wings of an Angel, Blind Faith, that. This side two is ranks amongst one of the very, very highest of the Death Leopard side twos. And I think that even though I'm not that keen on Broken Broken Hearted, but I love Battle of My Own, I love Wings of Angel, I love Blind Faith, love Last Dance. Uh, Forever Young's good, Broken Broken Hearted, not so keen on. Have I missed anything else? I don't think I have. I think that's it. Okay, so for me, I think this is a really, really strong side two, and I would put it very high though i'm not going to commit to an actual number but very very high i think it's a great great side too paul agree or disagree 
is it a really good side two? I'm over egging it or not? And where would you rank it amongst other Death Leopard side twos? Yeah, you're not over egging it. It is a really, really good side two. We might disagree slightly across which songs we pick to justify that. Uh, I think given how we've all spoken uh, about how much we love Wings of an Angel, the fact that that appears on side two immediately elevates it in and of itself. I wouldn't be able to say off the top of my head where I would rank it in terms of other side twos. And I I do think side one is better on this. I do still think side one is better, but I'd be very willing to engage in the conversation if we had more time and at more length, because I could definitely see me being sat in a situation where over a few beers with a few of us around the table and pe- people being able to convince me that side two of this album is better than side one. Um, it's a fantastic side two. It's a, this is a very, it's a really solid album. It's consistent. This album, it's, it's completely consistent. It's, it's at least seven out of tens pretty much across the board is what you get in here. It's uh it's your two nil home win. This it's definitely one of the strongest side twos. Um, in preparation, I was looking at the scoring on my phone and trying to put the numbers together to see how it would rank. And then you threw me the curveball of moving all-time high from side two to side one, mm-hmm. and that just completely destroyed everything. So <laughs> depending on how I cut it, it's either a very strong side two or a really, really strong side two if I were to keep the thing split right down the middle at seven and seven. If I were to try to pick one, I don't know. It's hard to go against anything with wings of an angel, especially because there's two songs on side one that I get tempted to skip versus only one song on side two that I would be tempted to skip. I'd probably have to go with side one being more consistent just because the first four songs themselves are just boom, 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 boom. Whereas in side two, I like Battle of My Own. I really like Broken Broken Hearted. Forever Young, okay. I really like Last Dance. I really, really love Wings of an Angel. And then Blind Faith, okay. So, I don't know. I can't answer you at all. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. And to be open and transparent here, when I first thought of that question and wrote it down, I thought All Time High was on side two as well. And that... (laughs) That does scope. I'm, I'm very. You put all time high on side two. I'm cast iron certain it's the better side, and it genuinely is one of the best side twos of a Death Leopard album. But yeah, that that does fuck with it a little bit. Very annoying, Death Leopard. Come on, bit of symmetry, lads. Right? Okay. I guess my answer right. is wherever all time high falls, that's what I vote for. That yeah, sways the scale. <laughs> So it feels almost pointless picking a song or pretending to have an argument or a charade about what song from this side we want to go on the Ultimate Death Lab Pod playlist. However, I do love a charade and a game of charade, so let's go through it anyway. Right. Paul Kurtz, we're going to pick a song from side two, Battle of My Own, Broken Broken Hearted, Forever Young, Last Dance, mm. Wings of an Angel and Blind Faith. Maybe it's not as clear cut. Maybe it could be Last Dance. Maybe it could be Battle of My Own. Paul, what song are you picking? I'm going to pick Wings of an Angel, Neil. I have to go with the newest song that resides within my top ten favorite lap songs of ever of all time, Wings of an Angel. So Death Leopard, my newest song that is eight years old. Okay. And I would also, <laughs> even as much as I will die on Last Dance Hills, I will also die on a Wings of an Angel Hill. That's maybe even just that little bit higher. So yes, Wings of an Angel for me. So that's the one. Right, chaps, I've got one last question for you. This is a bit of an advice. I'm looking for a bit of guidance. Concierge, like Godfather here. Right, we are very, very close to completing all of the album's reviews. So we've got one album to go, which is Diamond Star Halos. There's going to be two parts of that. Paul has kindly offered to host that episode because he's not that keen on Diamond Star Halos. While I love it and I've got lots to say about it. So we're going to be swapping seats. So when we do those two episodes, they'll be the last two songs that go on the Ultimate Death Left Pod playlist. Something we've been doing for a few years now. We're finally going to get there and then I'll put it out there and everyone can see what it is. I've been looking at it. At the moment, it's put together 
in the absolute random order that we've done these albums in. I do look back and I do think, what was I thinking, do it, choosing them to do the albums in this order? It makes no sense whatsoever, but you know, it is what it is. No one ever knew what was coming next. So as it is, it's it, it looks strange in terms of a running order. Paul, Kurt, have you got any advice on what I should do with the running order of the playlist? In what way it should or shouldn't be curated or should it be left well alone when it comes to making this playlist nice and shiny for people to listen to? What do you think, Kurt? Uh, If you want me to go easy on you, I say leave it as is to match the order of the episodes. If you want me to torture you in a way that I would be tortured, I would say curate the running order because I would rack my brain way more than is possibly justifiably necessary to do such a thing. So I hate to wish that on you, but that's kind of where I would go. And that leads directly to my suggestion, because I know what I'd do, Neil. I would take the list in the order that it's in, and then I would send it to Kurt over email. (laughs) And I would say to Kurt, as someone who we know curates his own things, I would probably include Mark and Ian as well, because Ian did a a curated thing for X as well. I'd probably include those two guys as well. And between the three of you, Kurt, you can come up with running order, bang it back to Neil, Neil puts it out. That'd be my advice, Neil. Good idea. And to be honest, Kurt's been such a regular guest on Death Left Pod that I could send the songs to him. He could then look at his database that he has where he finds out that you listen to Energize 109 times or he listened to, you know, whatever it was, 104 times. And we could curate it on the basis of Kurt's listening numbers where maybe. But then do you want to start at the lowest and then, you know, make people like like listen to quite a few before they start getting better? I mean, they're all really good. Or would you do it the other way? I don't know. So are we going curation, chaps? Is that is that what is that what we're deciding? Yeah. I think so. I'll do that. I'll do I'll take a day off work. I'll ring in sick. Oh, I can't come in today. I don't feel well. And then the next eight hours, dicking around with twenty five songs, changing the order, no one will care but me love it it's been lovely it's been amazing it's been as Rick Allen would say fantastic so Paul Kurt thank you very much see you later thank you gentlemen